0: The reading is from Mark chapter 10, it's from verses 32 through to 45 and you can find it on page 1015 in the church Bibles. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who were followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many.
1: Thank you very much, Vicky. And As we uh, have a look at that passage of God's word, let's pray uh, and ask his help to understand it. Yes, Father God, we do need your help to understand these things because they are are spiritual things. Uh, And so we pray that as we've heard your word this morning, as we've heard you speak, that you would give us ears to hear it, that you'd help us to listen to it, uh, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, open our blind eyes, our naturally blind eyes, to, to understand what you want to say to us. So teach us, correct us, rebuke us, And train us in righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you ever get déjà vu. I wonder if you ever get déjà vu. Uh, It's Father's Day. I'm allowed a a, a brief dad joke. Um, But, you know, that that feeling where you've you've experienced or or lived through a particular event or a situation before, um, even though it's actually only happening for the first time, um, so sometimes that feeling is so strong, you can almost, you feel like you can predict the future. And of course, it never happens because it's, it's not real. Well, you might be forgiven as we were reading that passage, as, as Vicky was reading it for us, as you were listening to it. Um, you might be forgiven for, for feeling a sense of déjà vu. Uh, because as we've been going through this whole section of Mark's gospel, we keep running into the same kinds of themes and the same kind of phrases uh, cropping up uh, again and again. And uh, again. But I hope that doesn't put you off. Uh, I hope you don't just switch off this morning because you've heard it all before. Um, Because, and and this is our our first point really, is that it's a message that needs repeating. It's a a message that needs repeating. Uh, There's a story told, you may have heard it before, uh, of a a preacher who turns up at a new church, uh, preaches a a powerful and a moving message, uh, and the the congregation very moved by it. Uh, The next week he turns up. And the congregation on the edge of their seats, waiting to hear what he says this time. He just preaches exactly the same message. They, they give him the benefit of doubt, he's new to this church, maybe he doesn't quite know how these things work. But on the third Sunday, after he, he preached that same message yet again, a group of church members approached the preacher afterwards to find out what was going on. You know, why do you keep preaching the same message? Uh, we've heard the same message three weeks in a row And the preacher calmly responds, I'll stop preaching it when you start listening to it. Ouch. Um, I don't think that's a true story. Um, But you might recognize some of that same feeling as we look at the passage that's in front of us. Where we see uh, Jesus predicting his death again. We see the disciples getting it wrong again. And a call for Jesus' followers to be servant-hearted again. But rather than letting us switch our brains off for the morning, uh, the fact that Mark is showing us some of these things again uh, should make us pay more attention, not less. These must be the things that are important. So what is the repeated message of the last uh, few chapters? Let's have a very quick look. Um, You might notice that in your Bible, uh, the heading for this section, uh, verse 32, says Jesus predicts his death a third time, and that's significant. He's predicted his death twice already. Uh, The first time was in chapter 8, verse 31 uh, to 34. Uh, It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Uh, He spoke plainly about this. Uh, So so what's Peter's response? After Jesus is very plainly explaining what's going to happen to him, uh, Peter's response is he rebukes Jesus. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh, He clearly hasn't understood what's going on. He's only thinking about things from a, a worldly point of view. And so Jesus' response to that is to turn worldliness on his head, saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross... And follow me. Deny yourself. Stop trying to achieve greatness and riches and glory and fame and follow me. Uh, then again, in, in chapter 9, verse uh, 31, he predicts his death a second time. Uh, it says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. And so, what's the disciples' response? they start arguing among themselves about who's the greatest. They clearly haven't got the idea. And so Jesus reiterates for them, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So the repeated message is to deny yourselves, to stop trying to achieve this greatness and riches and glory and follow Jesus. Uh, You can see how it's a a message that needs repeating. Uh, Every time Jesus says these things, his disciples miss the point completely. And so as we get to the beginning of the passage we're looking at this morning, from chapter 10, uh, in verse 32 uh, onwards, we wonder whether the disciples will ever get the right idea. So Jesus tells them, yes again, what is going to happen to him. Uh, look at verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, and spit on him, flog him, and and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, isn't it amazing that Jesus, uh, knowing full well what was going to happen to him, uh, was still determined to go to Jerusalem? Verse 32 says he was leading the way. He's not shying away from what must happen to him. His desire was to do his father's will, and to go through tremendous pain and suffering, isolation, rejection. His desire was to serve and not be served. Well, you'd think that some of that attitude might have rubbed off on his disciples by now. Uh, But no, we we see that far from wanting to serve others, they have a desire for glory. And that desire is a, a desire that needs overturning. Uh, verse 35 to 44. Uh, a desire that needs overturning. What, what is that desire? Well, look at verse 35. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, come to Jesus with a, a bit of a cheeky request. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that question should ring alarm bells. It's rather too similar to what King Herod said to his stepdaughter, Back in Mark chapter 6, he says, Ask me for anything, anything you want, and I'll give it to you. It was a very foolish statement. It was an awful story that ended up with John the Baptist's head on a plate. But James and John, as they come to Jesus, they're coming to him in the same way they would uh, come to an earthly king, in the same way people came to King Herod. uh, They still haven't understood what kind of a king Jesus was. They, They see him as a worldly king. So they bring him a worldly request. And so now Jesus shows great wisdom in verse thirty six, doesn't simply agree to do whatever he want, whatever they want. That would be foolish. So he asks them, What do you want me to do for you? And they say, verse thirty seven Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, we've got to give them a little bit of credit here. Uh, They do actually acknowledge that Jesus will have the glory and the highest position, so they've learned something. But their desire is still for glory for themselves. They're saying, Jesus, if you're number one, then can we be your number two and your number three? Can we join you on the podium? It's a worldly desire for glory that needs to be overturned. In fact, Jesus tells them they've got it so wrong that uh, they don't even know what they're asking, at uh, verse 38. So he asks them a question. Uh, Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Uh, it's a little bit cryptic, perhaps. Uh, but what Jesus is talking about is the fact that he is going to have to suffer. That The cup is a cup of suffering. Uh, the baptism is a, a picture of dying. Uh, in a, a few weeks We're going to have a a baptism service here uh, when Karis gets baptised and as she goes down into the water it's a picture of dying to sin and comes back out again as a picture picture of resurrection life. So baptism is a, a, a picture of death. Jesus asked them, can you go through those kind of things? Can you drink that cup of suffering? Can you go through death like I am? Jesus is going to have to suffer essentially he's referring to what he said earlier uh, at the beginning of the the passage the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law they will condemn him hand him over to the gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him jesus is going to have to suffer that's the only way that jesus will be shown to be great it's the only way he will enter into his glory and he's saying that if James and John wanted to stand uh, even a chance of being at his right and his left hand in glory, that they're going to have to follow him all the way through their own suffering and their own death. James and John, and maybe many of us this morning, want something for nothing. They just don't get that they're going to have to suffer. They don't get that following Jesus means letting go of of wealth and status and power. And all those things that Jesus has been uh, talking about in the the last couple of chapters, the things we need to get rid of, to deny ourselves and and follow him. Now, the the truth is that they would have to suffer uh, and they would eventually die. Not in the same way as Jesus uh, and not as a ransom for many, but they would suffer. So Jesus, uh, sorry, James and John have come to Jesus treating him like a worldly king and bringing worldly requests. He says, it's not my place to grant you position and status like that. So that could have been a temptation for Jesus uh, to claim his authority, uh, to be seen as the top dog. But actually, just for the moment, he lays it aside because he knows it's his father's job to grant positions and places. Now, moving on, needless to say, when it gets back to the rest of the disciples, uh, they were not particularly happy. It didn't go down very well. Uh, It says they were indignant. Uh, Things started to get a bit heated. This is uh, verse 41. And so Jesus has to wade in and teach them, yet again, what true greatness looks like. He has to turn their desires upside down. Their, Their desire is for greatness. But instead, Jesus says... You should be desiring to serve others, not use them to your own advantage. He says, don't lord it over each other. Don't take comfort in high positions. It's a a very worldly way of thinking about leadership, isn't it? Um, Those who are regarded as rulers, those who seem to be in charge, uh, those who have any sort of power or authority, often like to wield that power and, uh, excuse me, like to wield that power and authority for their own sake. They, they get a little bit of power, they like it, and they want to have a bit more. I'm sure we all know people that have uh, kind of fallen into that trap. I'm sure many of us can recognize those temptations in our own lives. These people like their high positions, and so often they, they act in a high and mighty way. But Jesus says that is not to be the case for his followers. Uh, Christians mustn't fall into the same trap. Now, this morning, uh, we've commissioned Robin uh, as an elder in the church, uh, a role that is characterized, as we said earlier, by serving the church. And as Nathan said before, he's, he's telling that he's not upstairs listening with us because he's downstairs serving in junior church. And so it, it is a servant role. But for those of us who are elders, or those of us who are in any position of authority uh, within the church, the the temptation is always to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Left to our own devices, uh, the temptation will be for us to enjoy our status and use our high position uh, to make people do our bidding, uh, to to use other people for our own glory, uh, to have a fan club rather than... Pointing people to Jesus. And, and it's sickening to think how prevalent that attitude is amongst Christians. And we need to fight against it constantly. Because those little seeds of temptation always crop up in our hearts. This doesn't just apply to elders, it doesn't just apply to leaders. All of us need to wage war against these sorts of attitudes in our own hearts. Uh, and the way. We fight it is firstly by stripping off any pretensions of glory and instead humbly serving one another. Maybe this morning you're aware that in your own life uh, you don't really serve anyone. You've made your life all about you. Well, now's the time to reflect on that and to think, how can I serve someone else? And some of us think that our service isn't actually good enough. You know, I've helped so-and-so do this. But it's not really proper service. But actually, we're not looking for kind of a, a scale or a chart, a league table of who can serve the best. We just need to get on with serving one another. So we need to serve one another. But the second way we fight this temptation is by looking to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus, the Son of Man. We're going to look at verse 45. And we're going to see a rescuer who pays the ransom. Rescuer who pays the ransom. Uh, Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So who is Jesus talking about there? Who is this son of man? It's a phrase we've come, up, uh, come across a few times in Mark's gospel already. Um, quite simply, the phrase son of man is a, an Old Testament way of saying human being. Uh, but there is one human being in particular that the Jews were interested in. Uh, instead of just a son of man, just a human being, they were looking forward to the son of man coming a human who would come with power and authority and put things right, a Messiah. So listen to this from Daniel chapter 7. This is who Jesus was talking about when he talks about the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, he writes, uh, Daniel writes this, "'In my vision at night I looked, "'and there before me was one like a Son of Man, "'coming with the clouds of heaven. "'He approached the Ancient of Days "'and was led into his presence.'" He was given authority, glory, power. Uh, sorry, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so the, the picture that Jesus is painting there uh, is that even this guy, even the Son of Man, the, the one with authority, with glory and sovereign power, the one worthy of everyone's worship, Jesus himself, even he came not to be served, but to, be, to, but to serve. Often, people in positions of power find themselves uh, craving more power, more influence, they, they want to be immortalized. But Jesus, the Son of Man, turns that way of thinking on its head and demonstrates for us that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve In verse 32, we, we read uh, the response of some of the people around Jesus. Uh, Jesus was leading the way up to Jerusalem. The disciples were astonished. Uh, those who followed were afraid. I don't know what they were astonished about. It could be all sorts of things. But the truly astonishing thing in this passage is that the Son of Man would humble himself and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to take more power, more authority, more glory, but to give. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. How unlike the rulers of the Gentiles, how unlike some of those that we see in positions of leadership and authority today, many people, many of us, Uh, are attracted by the power and status and wealth that go along with those positions. Jesus came not to take any of that stuff, but to give. Now, I heard on the radio the other week about uh, just the the sheer number of cyber attacks uh, that have happened over the last few months. Uh, One type of cyber attack that's becoming more common is a so-called ransomware attack, uh, where hackers will encrypt your data or sometimes steal your data and threaten bad things to happen unless you pay them a tidy ransom. And so it, it raises a, a difficult question for, for people, for businesses uh, that have been attacked by this particular uh, hack. Do you pay or do you ri- risk losing everything? Well, in a similar way, our sins demand payment. Uh, God is a just God. And if he's just, he's got to address Sin. Uh, If you've ever been sinned against, you know that feeling. You want God to address that sin. It's not fair if he lets people get away with it. Sins demand payment. Our sins demand payment. And so Jesus offers to pay our ransom. He offers to set us free by a payment. What was that payment? By giving his own life as a sacrifice for us. He allowed himself to be mocked and to be spat on, to be flogged and killed, all so that he could free us from the punishment that we deserve. He gave his life as a ransom. And that is an astonishing act of love and service. And it's such good news that Jesus is the servant of all. It's such good news that uh, he is the rescuer who pays our ransom because he's the only one that could have done it. Throughout Mark's gospel, we've been learning who Jesus is. Uh, he's the, the son of God. He he can do amazing things. He can do miracles. Uh, he can teach really well. He can. Uh, he's very wise in the things he says. And over the last few chapters, we've seen that actually uh, the things that Jesus is asking for uh, of us, the things that we've got to give up, the things that we've got to do, Leave behind to follow him is really difficult. And so, at the end of it all, when, when you've kind of, you know, Jesus paints this picture of a, a streamlined Christian, you know, what are you going to get rid of uh, so that you can uh, follow him? A, a bit like those ultralight campers that will go and, uh, you know, hike in the wilderness for, for days on end with nothing but a, a, a cup and a, a spoon or something like that. Uh, the, the people that want to you know, drill holes in the bottom of the mug just to get the weight down, lose every gram of weight uh, in their hike. Jesus wants to strip everything away. And, and so for some of us, we, we've heard this, this kind of message over the last few weeks. I thought, well, after everything's stripped away, what is left? After I've stripped everything away, what is left? How can I possibly enter the kingdom? Well, the, the good news is that Jesus achieved what we never could. And he pays a ransom because we never could. So this good news, this, this gospel is a message that needs repeating. Not just because we don't listen to it, but because it's a glorious message. Uh, we can be uh, reminded of our, our, first our, our need for our desires to be transformed. We can be reminded of the good news that Jesus is our rescuer and our ransom. Uh, And it doesn't just need to be repeated. uh, It's a message that we get to repeat. And so we repeat it often in this church because we rejoice in it and we worship Jesus because of it. It's a message that needs repeating because it's a worthy message. Let's pray. Father God, we Want to follow you, we want to take our places in your kingdom, and we would be content not to be number two and number three, not your right and left hand in glory, but as the, the psalm says, content to be a, a gatekeeper, just looking in from the outside. And yet we want that to be our desire, and so often it isn't. And so we, as we come to you this morning worshiping you for what you've done in sending your son Jesus to be our ransom. Uh, We we do want to lay aside every uh, sin that clings to us and and trips us up. Uh, And yet in many ways, just like the disciples, we, we don't know what we're asking. We thank you, Jesus, that you knew exactly what it would cost to pay our ransom. And that we can truly follow you without being afraid. So would you calm our fears this morning? Would you make us astonished, would you make us amazed, Uh, cause us to worship and praise you for your amazing grace for us. And Lord, above all else, help us to, to serve one another, not for our own glory, but for Jesus' sake. Amen.